You are listening to the Sun Grove Podcast. For more information, please visit our website at sungrove.org. Good morning. We are in a series called Noel, and a lot of people wonder what in the world does Noel mean? We hear it in songs. We hear it all over the place. And if you were with us last week, you discovered that Noel is a word uh, that means Christmas. That's all it means is Christmas. And what it means, it comes from the French word natalis, which means nativity or the announcement of the birth. And it kind of goes back. So you get this like Latin word that leads to a French word that then leads to us singing about a Christmas carol, a Noel. And when you and I sing the word Noel, or we say it, or we write it on something, or it's on the back of some Christmas wrapping, what we're doing is we are announcing the birth of Jesus. We're announcing the fact that God would leave heaven, that he would come to earth in the most humble state, that of a little baby, that Jesus would live a perfect life with the intent of sacrificing himself for your sin, for my sin, that all of God's righteous wrath against sin would be poured out on Jesus on the cross, that he would be dead, buried in the grave, that he would raise to new life, having conquered sin, conquered death, thank goodness, that he would offer us, through faith in what he did on the cross, eternal life, the forgiveness of our sins, being made a new creation, being washed clean, our sins washed away, He would launch the church, he would ascend back up into heaven, and he would give you and I the mission of being the church. It's a beautiful thing. When you say Noel, you're announcing not that there was a baby born a long time ago as some sort of fable, because it wasn't. It was reality. It was historically accurate. It is factual. But if we understand that a birth happened, but we don't understand why, we don't understand Noel, Noel means Christmas, and so when you say Noel to somebody else, you're announcing Christmas, you're announcing the good news of Jesus being born, just like the angels who appeared to the shepherds in the fields that this Messiah had been born to you, and they ran to find him. We understand the word Noel. God keeps his promises. After a long period of silence when they thought, well, I don't know if God's plan is still happening. I'm not sure it's still in effect. We learned last week that God keeps his promises. And we asked the question, how do we live Noel when we look at future promises that are yet to be fulfilled? We can look backwards at Noel and we can look back at the birth of Jesus and say, historically, God intervened. He keeps his plan going on earth. He brought the Christ child. That we look back and we say, Christmas is a reminder that God keeps his promises. And then we look ahead, and we want to live Noel in the future, and we look at it and we say, God's going to keep his promises again. To be the Christmas champion, to conquer death, to put death away forever. That God is going to return to us, and if you and I live long enough, we will see him return to us, and we will rise to meet him in the air. And if we don't live that long, then we will be absent from the body, present with the Lord. That at the moment of our death, we'll be face-to-face with our Creator, with God. He will bring us back into relationship with Him. It's a beautiful picture that God will keep His promises. So we look backwards and see He has. We look ahead at ones that are not yet fulfilled, and we go, I'm going to continue to live as one who believes that. And then we say, well, how do we live Noel in the present? The way that we live Noel in the present is you do exactly what a person would do who is absolutely convinced that God is able to do all he has promised. 
So we look back and say he has kept his promises. We look ahead and say he will keep his promises. But for now, I'm going to do exactly what a person would do who is absolutely convinced that God keeps his promises. That's how we do it. We have to learn to live within God's favor. And if you have your outline today, take that out. Take your pen out. You're going to open your Bible to Luke chapter 1. And we're going to start in Luke chapter 1, beginning with verse 30, uh, 26. But as you're getting prepared and looking at those things, we have to say, well, what in the world is the deal with God's favor? See, a lot of people go through life and they're trying to gain favor. They're trying to, you know, get favors. If I could just get a deal at the store, if I could just get a job promotion, if I could just get that person to like me, if I could just achieve. And you're trying to gather and get favors in life to make life significant. And sometimes the more you collect, the more you realize just how empty collecting is. And you want to say, well, what's different? There's something different about going through life trying to get favors versus walking through life living in the favor that's been given to me. And there's a huge difference. So we're going to live Noel in the present by living from a place where we live and walk and act toward others out of the favor that God has shown us. Because we've got to realize, in the big scope of things, there's nothing better, there's no better place to be than in God's favor. If I'm going to live my life, I can live it trying to gather the favors I want to get and try to hopefully get those things, and they're going to be empty, but there's no better place to be than in God's favor. So how in the world am I going to live in God's favor? How do I get God's favor? And what in the world is God's favor? We need to understand what those things are. The story of Christmas tells us a little bit about what being in God's favor means because we find out that Mary found favor with God. If you have your Bible, we're going to find out in Luke chapter 1, beginning with verse 26 and following, we're going to find out that God's favor is surprising. It's surprising. I want to just draw a picture for you. You've got to realize that a God, he would say, I'm going to take care of your sin problem. I'm going to answer that problem myself. I'm going to take your punishment upon myself on the cross. That's a surprise. Some of you are like, I don't want God to take care of my sin. I want to receive the punishment for my sin. Sometimes your pride says, I don't want someone else to do it for me. I want to be a self-doer. And that's just pride. But God's favor is surprising. It's the way it works. In Luke chapter 1, beginning with verse 26, it says this. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy. Uh, let me time out right there. First of all, you don't know who Elizabeth is, maybe. Some of you absolutely do. Elizabeth is Mary's relative. Now, Elizabeth, the Bible says, is an old woman. Okay, but this just said in the sixth month of her pregnancy. She's an old woman, and catch this, she's never been pregnant her whole life. We're not talking about her young pregnancy. We're talking about she's an old woman who's pregnant. Now, I want you to picture that old woman who's pregnant. Now, I want you to realize that the Bible doesn't just say she's old. The Bible is very descriptive that says Elizabeth and her husband are very old. So whatever you think is old, just up it by about a decade, and that's where you're going to land, right? Very old, very, very old. And that's what she was. And it says she's pregnant. Surprise, right? Your whole life you thought you couldn't have children. But an angel meets your husband as he's serving at the temple and says, your wife is going to be with child. 
And so she becomes pregnant, and that's where it picks up. A miracle has already happened. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent an angel, Gabriel, to Nazareth, the town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph of a descendant of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And the angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly, what? Favored, highly favored. The Lord is with you. And Mary was greatly troubled at his word and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. You have found what? Favor with God. We live in a world where we try to elevate Mary. We try to say, she's so great. She obviously found favor with God. She must have been doing something right. Obviously, God just seemed to must, you know, must have had favoritism with Mary. And we think, how in the world did that happen? But what we find first is that God's favor is surprising. It's surprising. Can you imagine? You're getting up in the morning. You're going about your business. You're a, probably a young teenage girl. And an angel shows up and says, you are highly favored. And she is a little bit shocked. She's surprised. Like all of a sudden that happens. Greeting you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. It says Mary was greatly troubled. She wasn't just troubled because an angel showed up. She was troubled because she's thinking, what did I do to get God's favor? Like, I can think of a long list of things right now that would not qualify for God's favor. Can you? I'm going to in my life. Mary's probably sitting there going, I ain't been perfect. I'm not without sin. Why in the world would God choose me? She's thinking of her family heritage. No, there's nothing there. There's nothing in my family background that makes me unique for God's plan. I got to tell you something. God's favor is surprising. When the Lord speaks and God still speaks... God will speak to you through your inner person. God will speak to you through your conscience. God speaks to you all that you need to know through his word. And the more you and I get in the word, then God begins to make the word come alive inside of us. And he makes his word come true. But there are times that for you and me that as we listen to the word and as we speak to God in prayer, that there are times that when the Lord speaks, we may not at first find his word to be comforting and encouraging, but rather troubling and unnerving. Have you ever read the scripture and had an unnerving moment? You ever read the scripture and were like, are you serious? I'm supposed to do that? And one of the reasons you know the Bible was not written by humans, but was written by God is because the Bible says, love your enemies. Are you serious? Love them? I'm not supposed to just troll them online? No. Not every divine message will always seem in the moment like the welcome good news that it actually is. It's surprising he shows up. It's significant that Mary wasn't sitting around just waiting. Hey, God, I've been pretty good, and I deserve Christmas presents, so you're going to give me one named Jesus, right? That's not how that works. He wasn't sitting around deserving that God should reward her at any moment. Finding favor is not some magic formula that you and I can like mix up and expect God to be pleased with us and bless us with. When God finds favor with someone, it's because they have a specific role to play in his plan. God has found favor with Mary. Not because of Mary's performance, but because God in his grace has chosen her 
to play this role. God has chosen her, not because she was so great, but God has chosen her because in his big picture plan, he gives something called grace. Grace is undeserved favor. Undeserved favor. There's no way to predict exactly what God will do or when he'll do it, but God at times chooses to extend favor to you and to me. Not because we're so great, but because God said, I'm great. And irrespective of what you think, I'm going to choose you to play that role in my big picture plan. You might say, but I don't know. I I sit in the loft all the time on Sunday mornings. I'm not down on the floor. Why would you guys choose me? Well, it's closer to heaven, of course. But (laughs) you might say, God, I've got a whole laundry list of reasons why you should never choose me. I'm thinking of my heritage, I'm thinking of my past, I'm thinking of my present, I'm thinking of my liabilities. God, why in the world would you ever choose me? Well, God's favor, listen, rests on those he loves. Have you ever had someone fall in love with you? You might not have reciprocated it, but for some reason, someone else fell in love with you. And maybe it comes clear, they write you a note, they talk to you, whatever. And all of a sudden, you have a choice. Like, that person loved me. Like, you're like, I didn't cause you to. I didn't do anything. I didn't try to get you to like me. But for some reason, you fell in love with me. And I got to let you know, there's nothing about my performance that caused that. It was that person's will, right? It was that person's decision. I am choosing to love you, and you now have a choice. Are you going to reciprocate it or not? And sometimes you're like, thankfully, no. And other times you're like, well, let's get to know you better. And you want to experience that. God is the one who chooses. God is the one who loves. God is the one who gives favor. He has favored Mary. Why? Because it was his choice. Not Mary's choice. It was his choice. I am showing favor To you, God, out of his great love, is saying, not based on your track record, not based on how good you think you are or aren't, I'm going to favor you. God's favor rests on those he loves. You know, what does she do to deserve God's favor? The text doesn't tell us anything in here. It's possible that the answer is really simple. Nothing. She didn't do anything to receive God's favor. That simply God grants us what he gives us out of sheer love and abundance. I mean, why are any of us so favored? We move through our days. We we try to make right decisions. We certainly endeavor to. We don't always. Uh, We endeavor to do things that honor God with our lives. But none of those things would ever add up to deserving God's favor. God's favor comes to you or to me because he chose to love us first. The Bible says, while we were still enemies, Christ died for us. So he demonstrated his love for us. Not while we were favorites because of our performance. In fact, we were enemies. But because he chose to favor us with the gift of his life so that we could have our sins wiped away. So we endeavor to honor God with our lives, but none of that would add up to deserving God's favor. Surprise! Guess what? You don't deserve God's favor. Surprise! Not to some of you, right? No surprise there. I get it. But for others of us in this room, when you interact and you begin to grasp the idea that God, because of his choice alone, loves you, and you remove it from your performance, 
and you remove it from your liabilities, your heart and your soul has this aha moment where you say, wow, how surprising is that? That God would love me. I didn't do anything to deserve it, but he chooses to love me and he goes one above that. He chooses to call me to have a unique role in his plan. So God's favor is surprising. But for us to live out God's favor, it's going to take a miracle. And it's a good thing because God's favor is powerful. It's powerful. Gabriel, who announced to Zechariah that Elizabeth would have a baby in her old age, now is obviously talking to Mary in her young age, and he goes on, he says this, you will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus, and he will be great and will be called son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be? Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin. And the angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. Right there, you just got to know Mary was in further shell shock, right? I think Gabriel's saying it kind of flippantly. You're going to have a baby. And she's like, the favor of God is surprising, right? But then he goes, and Elizabeth, you know, Elizabeth, you're really old relative she's in her sixth month already surprise even elizabeth your relative is going to have a child in her old age she who is said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month for no word from god will ever fail what does the angel say at the end of his message he says no word from god will ever fail He's saying, I've been around for the centuries. I've been around since the beginning of creation. I have seen with my eyes. I have watched in the scope of humanity. I've seen God fulfill his plan. And I need to let you know, Mary, because you're finite, because you're mortal, because you're human. I need to let you know that no word from God will ever fail. I've seen it. For God's will and favor to work in you and me, it's going to take a miracle. And that's good because God's favor is powerful. The plan the angel unfolds of Mary will quite literally require a miracle. Mary reminds the angel that she's a virgin. She cannot become pregnant. But the angel replies, nothing is impossible with God. Nothing's impossible with God. Not a problem. Let me tell you, sometimes God wants to work in your life God wants to extend his grace, his mercy, his love, his favor to you. And some of you in the room, you're saying, I'm not a virgin. I've sinned in plenty of ways. I have a track record. I have a history. I have liabilities. I'm not perfect. I've not got myself together. I don't have it all together. I don't know where it all is. And we come back with these objections to God. Mary's was... How's that going to happen because I'm a virgin? But for some of us, it's the opposite, isn't it? How's that going to happen because I'm aware of me? And what you need to know is that God's favor is for you, that he loves you, that nothing is impossible with God. Those are not barriers to his favor resting on you. He loves you. 
When God wants to use someone for his purposes, it'll often seem impossible, but God's power will be with us to make the impossible possible. I love that God does something really unique here, and sometimes we skip over this when we talk about the Christmas story. But I love in this initial announcement that God tells Mary that you're going to be pregnant. And I know in in this moment that a lot of you in this room, you have been pregnant, and maybe you ladies in the room who have been blessed by God to have a child, you've been pregnant, and in that pregnancy, you reached out. You reached out to an older woman who has kids, and you were like, well, what was that like? What was the labor process like? And then every one of them told you their horrific labor story, right, and scared you to death because everybody's got a story when it comes to labor, but you also reached out maybe to a mom or a grandma or somebody else who had a birth at some point in their life, and and you began to say, what's this going to be like? I've received a pregnancy, the favor of God. What's that going to be like? Because I've never been here before. And I love that God does that, not only say, hey, Mary, this is going to be impossible because you're not going to be the natural way with a man, but that you're going to get impregnated by God. And not only that, but your really old relative... Old Elizabeth, she's six months pregnant. In fact, right after this announcement, Mary goes to stay with Elizabeth for three months. So I want to point out something to you. When God calls you and says, my favor is upon you and I want to do something great in and through you, God says you're not to do that alone. What a beautiful picture that God gave an intergenerational connection for Mary, that she could sit there and the, and the two of them could sit around over a cup of coffee or whatever, and they could, they could sit around and be like marveling. Can you imagine? I'm pregnant. Hey, can you imagine? Uh, me and my husband tried for, you know, 50 years. It never happened. And can you imagine? I've never been with a man. And together they're like, minds are blown. How great is it that together, like, we don't even know what all this journey looks like. She asked, oh, Elizabeth, what's it like to have a baby? I don't know. I've never had one, right? Neither of them have. And here they have this sisterhood built in. And I want you to know that that's what God calls the church. A group of undeserving people who come together to be a brotherhood, a sisterhood, to walk together on this journey of life, being in the favor of God, doing the work that God's called us to do. You can't do it alone. You can't say, God, I've received your favor. Thank you very much. I'm good till the day I die. You've missed the critical step. Because power is in connection and God's favor is surprising for sure. But it's also powerful and it's powerful in relationship. What a beautiful thing that they were there to be able to share it together and marvel at the favor of God. What a great thing that is. Why? Because no word from God will ever fail. So how do you and I, how do we live under God's surprising favor, his powerful favor? What do we do to live Noel and live under God's favor? You and I, we do exactly what a person would do who is absolutely convinced that God is able to do all he has promised. What did Elizabeth do? That. What did Mary do? That. What do you and I do? when we don't know, when we can't see, when it hasn't all been realized, but we've been called to live under God's favor, we're going to realize that we submit ourselves to God because God's favor is not only surprising and not only is it powerful, but God's favor is demanding. It's demanding. It's going to take endurance. 
It's going to take work. It's going to take effort. It's going to require sacrifice. See, God's word is surprising, and God's word is powerful. I mean, the surprise news is, Mary, you have the choice, you have the chance to let God do something miraculous and amazing through you that's going to change your picture of what you think life is supposed to be like. And she's going to have choice in the matter, that she's going to be able to look at it, but she's going to realize right away, to live under God's favor is not just simply going to be the easy road. It's going to be demanding. It's going to be rich and deep and wide and long, but it is going to come at certain costs. And that's true of God's favor in your life and mine. And this is what Mary says, Luke 1, 38. After the angel said all these things, she said, I am the Lord's what? Servant. Doesn't mean I'm a slave. She's saying I'm putting myself in the position to do the work God had favor upon me to do. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to jump on board with this plan. She said, may your word to me be fulfilled, and then the angel left her. See, Mary doesn't flee from the demands of doing God's will, and she embraces them. And when God finds favor with us, it's because he wants to use us for his purposes. He really wants to do something great through your life. Will you let him? I mean, being in God's favor means you're going to need some courage. You're going to need courage in God's favor to endure the world's disdain. There are some of you in this room, and you were like, if I submitted myself, if I gave myself to God's favor and what he wants to do, if I receive the grace that God is saying, I will give you eternal life, I will save you from your sin, I will wash you white as snow, I will make you a new creation, there are people around you who will go, oh, this is just a phase. There are people around you who will go, you're one, you're one of them now? There are people around you who will say, get out of my house. There are people around you who will misunderstand that God has an agenda in your life. They will misunderstand that God could, of all people, use you. They'll mock it, and they will share their disdain with you. Let me tell you that when you receive the favor of God that he freely offers and the plan that he wants in your life, you will need courage to take the world's disdain. Certainly there would be people who would misunderstand how Mary is pregnant. They already misunderstood how in the world Elizabeth is pregnant. There's no doubt that pregnant Elizabeth was seen by others who were just like, what in the world is going on there? Like, how in the world did that happen? Some freak of nature or something, right? They just didn't get it. But you're going to need courage to put it with the world's disdain. Secondly, you're going to need courage to give up your right of self-determination. You're going to have to give up your right of self-determination. What did the angel tell to Mary? What did the angel also tell to Joseph? What he said is this, and you, Joseph, you shall call him Jesus. Well, I gotta let you know, in a Jewish culture, the father always chose the names. Sorry, ladies, you didn't get to do that if you were in the Jewish culture, but it was the right, the will of the father, particularly firstborn, to name their child. And so the, the naming opportunity, the angel comes, Gabriel comes to Joseph and says, you shall name him Jesus. You know what he's saying? Joseph, you're going to be, you're going to be a part of this story, but you're not the dad. Because the father has already named the son and you're not him. You're the under-shepherd of the good shepherd, and the good shepherd named the sheep. God the Father 
said this is what his name shall be. So what did Joseph do? What did Mary do? They obeyed. They gave up their right to self-determination. Third thing you'll need courage for is you will need courage to admit that you are a sinner in need of a savior. You're in need of God's forgiveness through Jesus. Yes, the Jesus who was born in a manger. Yes, the Jesus who grew up without sin. Yes, the Jesus who taught. Yes, the Jesus who allowed himself to have his arms stretched out to be nailed to a cross, one foot stacked on top of the other, and a nail driven through both of them where he was in a position where he was suffocating to death, but his shoulders being dislocated would have to push up against that spike to breathe. And with one of his breasts, he says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. That God of favor is saying the same thing. Father, would you forgive them? They don't know what they're doing. And God's favor is extended to you and me through Jesus and his sacrifice on the cross. But to receive that, we must admit that we need a savior from our sin. I have to admit, I am a sinner. I need the washing away of my sins by Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. That's the entry door so that God's favor rests on you and me. That's what happens. We come to Christ. We give him our lives. We say, yes, Lord, I'm saying yes to you. I don't have it all together. I don't know where it is. I have all my liabilities, but for some reason you are offering me grace and I'll take it. But to take it, I have to admit that I'm a sinner. So what did Mary say? She said, let it be done unto me as you have said. I got to let you know, this is not some sort of Greek mythology where the gods sleep with the humans and then you get Wonder Woman. Right? That's not what happened here. God sends his messenger, says, Mary, God has chosen you to play an irrevocable part in the story of God. Will you take it? And she has choice because God's a gentleman. And she says, yes. I'll take it. It'll take courage. It's surprising. It's going to take a miracle. It's going to be demanding. But I'll do it. And some people in the room, they accept Christ and they think, I just thought when I accepted Christ that my whole life was going to get easy. And they didn't realize that God teaches endurance and that it's going to take courage in these different ways. But in doing so, that we get this chance to see what only God can do. Mary said, May it be to me as you have said, I mean, wow. Talk about trusting God for the impossible. She's like, okay, let's do it. The Bible doesn't tell us how Mary got to a place in her personal life where she had this faith that came out at that moment, this faith to say yes in that moment. We, we don't know the backstory of Mary's life to know how she got there. But the Bible tells us that Mary chose to surrender her plans, her life. She chose to surrender those things, her normal life plans to the unknown, the unfamiliar, the mysterious, the unexplainable, and the supernatural. And when she did so, she then experienced firsthand the unknown, the unfamiliar, the mysterious, the unexplainable, and the supernatural. But it wasn't until she said yes to that plan that she would actually experience something greater than herself. And the same is true of you, and the same is true of me. I mean, can you imagine what would happen if we dared to surrender to God like Mary did? 
Can you imagine what would happen if we jumped into the deep end, even though we're scared out of our minds? At what? Oh my goodness, what in the world? I don't even know what your plan is. I don't even think I have enough Bible knowledge. I don't even know what the future holds. But we chose to say, yes, can you imagine? Can you imagine what God would do in spite of our response to how impossible it seemed? And maybe you said yes to writing that book or to making that move or having that conversation or showing up for that interview or pursuing that dream or that job or that person or that promise. Could you imagine Can you imagine what he would do if our response was simply, may your word to me be fulfilled? Can you imagine what God would do? Nope, you can't. And neither can I. It's true, my friends, it's true. You cannot imagine. None of us can imagine what God would do if we truly surrendered all to him. You want to know how I know? Because of Christmas. Christmas tells us that even Mary and Joseph had no idea all that would transpire ahead of them if they simply surrendered. They didn't have the knowledge ahead of time. They simply said yes to God's favor. Believe it or not, God extends the same invitation to you and me to play a significant part in his amazing story. He extends that opportunity to you and to me every single day. Every day calls calls you and me to trust him for things that sound and feel and seem impossible from every angle. And Jesus' birth is a reminder that God can do anything. Nothing is impossible with God. It's easy to forget that that Jesus isn't just baby Jesus, right? If you're like me, maybe sometimes it's easy to forget that God is all-powerful, that he's unstoppable, that he's uncontainable, he's unbound by logic or science or the laws of men. He is a creator of the universe, the one who hung each star in sky and calls them out by name and names. You can't touch a star, but God created them all and calls them all by their name. He knows exactly how many there are. He knows how big the universe is. He knows that it is not finite, but it's probably infinite because of his creation. He's the one who can call life out of nothing and can breathe life into existence. We forget who Jesus is. See, it's not, well, if I say yes, you know, do I get to see what you're going to do that only God can do in my life? The real question is this. Will we surrender so then we can see God do what only God can do in our lives? The issue is not, do I get to see it? Like wondering about present. Do I get to see it? Do I get to open it? Can I take it out? The question is, will I surrender? Will I surrender because then I'm going to watch over a lifetime what it looks like when I step into the favor of God and I walk under his grace and in his forgiveness and I answer his call to do what only he has called me to do. It's a beautiful thing. You know, sometimes I wonder if Mary and Joseph in Jesus's early years, like I wonder if they were ever like lying in bed at night and were like, hey, I just want to say this, but like, can you remember, you remember when the angel Gabriel showed up and to give us good news? Did you ever think it would lead to all this, right? Like I think they'd sat there sometimes like, like marveling at God's thing, that they would actually leave, they had to flee to Egypt, that they spent some early years in Egypt, that they came back to Judea, that the angel warned them again, they went up to Nazareth, they never maybe even thought they would go back to Nazareth. Because they knew the Messiah would have to come from Judea. So their full intent and purpose was to relocate back to Judea, not to Nazareth, which is way north. 
But I think they sat there and they laughed. I think sometimes in Jesus' early years when they would watch him blow out his birthday candles, they just sat back and would marvel with each other with tears in their eyes, remembering that with God, like, look, nothing shall be impossible. Do you living, acting, moving, breathing right in front of us. And they had other kids, and they were born the natural way, and they understood that, but when they looked at Jesus, they would say, God did the impossible. Can you imagine? What do you do to live in God's favor? What do you do to live Noel now? You do exactly what a person must do who is absolutely convinced that God can do all he has promised. It's simply saying, okay, Lord, yes. I'll say yes to receiving your favor, even though I've not earned it, I don't deserve it. With your heads bowed, your eyes closed, all around this room, there are people in here who at some point in their life understood that they don't deserve forgiveness of their sins. They don't deserve eternal life. And at some point in their life, they said yes to Jesus. They said, God, I don't have it all together. I don't know where it all is. But I'm going to say yes to your invitation that through your death on the cross, my sins can be washed away. I'm going to give my belief to that. I'm going to give my faith to that. And in doing so, God, you save me from my sin. You give me eternal life. You offer me the inheritance in heaven that will never perish or spoil or fade. And all around this room, there are people who've already made that decision. But maybe you're here today and you haven't. And maybe today the invitation to you to live in God's favor is simply just to realize what favor is. It's undeserved grace. You didn't deserve it, but God is offering it to you and he loves you and he wants to, you to receive that. And if that's you today, if you want to say yes to that opportunity, if you want to say yes to the forgiveness of your sins, if you want to say yes to new life through Jesus, then right where you're seated, you just pray a prayer like this after me. Jesus, today I say yes to you. I believe you died on the cross for my sin, that you were buried, that you rose to new life, that you were God. I ask you to come into my heart and make me a new creation. I ask you to forgive me of all my sin, wash me as white, as Christmas snow. I want to live in your favor because today, Jesus, I say yes to you. Thank you for listening to the Sun Grove Podcast. For information on Sun Grove Church, visit our website at sungrove.org.